what would you say, uh, what would you think tomorrow if, if somebody gave you $50 million? Now, you might say, where did you get the $50 million exactly? Uh, let's be clear on that. But, but, but what, what would you say? Would you think, man, I've got it made now. I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to, I don't have to sweat anymore. I, I can relax. I can, I can travel like I always wanted to travel. I can see the world. I can do those things I've always wanted to do by the, the house, the car, the, the whatever it is. I can finally do that. And, and I'm free from, from all these, this, these burdens that not having sufficient wealth places on me. Do you ever find yourself thinking that way? Oh, let me ask you another way. Why does the prospect of winning the lottery excite us so much? Why does that thrill us so much? Because we can quit. We can quit working. We can, we can do what we want to do. We can, we can finally live, right? We can live like we want to live. The Scripture says, maybe surprisingly, uh, the Scripture says, if you think like that, you're a fool. All right? Don't believe me? Well, let's, let's read. Uh, Luke Chapter 12, beginning in verse 13. This is God's word. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, 
where no thief approaches and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Would you pray with me? Father, this is your word, and, and some of these words are hard words for us to hear. And so I pray that you indeed would give us uh, ears to hear and that you would help me to speak uh, clearly uh, as we look at your scriptures. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The person at the end with the most toys wins. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus versus America. Uh, The person at the end with the most toys wins. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Uh, The way... The way Jesus tells us to think about money and possessions is incredibly different from the way our culture would encourage us to think about money and possessions. Uh, and for me, sort of the, sort of the aha moment in this uh, was, was following the, the terrorist attacks on 9-11 uh, several years ago now. But I remember in the aftermath of that that we were encouraged to go and spend money Some of you may remember this. We were encouraged to go and spend money to stimulate the economy. And I remember as well, this was a time when GM and Ford did their bit to help us by giving us all 0% financing, right? And so I thought to myself, I've got two perfectly good cars, but now to do my patriotic duty, I need to go buy new cars? That's what I'm supposed to do to help? Uh, to spend more money, and it, it kind of became apparent to me at that point that our entire way of thinking is not based on us being stewards of what God has given us, but we are very much uh, consumers. That's how uh, the powers that be want us to think of ourselves. We are simply consumers, and that's how we define ourselves. We consume. We go from one thing to another simply consuming. Uh, we're, you know, we're bombarded with advertisements uh, daily, on a daily level, telling me uh, to think that what Jesus says here is actually a lie. Life does consist in the abundance of your possessions, is what I'm being told. That if I have the right clothes or the right car or the right fill-in-the-blank lifestyle, I'll be okay. Life's hard, life's short, uh, and so the antidote to that is to shop, <laughs> right? Uh, I'll go make myself feeling better, feel better by shopping, and then everything will be okay. And Jesus is saying, but life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. Uh, Luke 12, Jesus is confronted here with a man who is concerned that his brother divide the inheritance with him. Uh, And Jesus kind of brushes by his demands here and instead begins to deal with the heart, with matters of the heart. Uh, There's a crowd here, and and Jesus begins by giving this this warning to the gathered crowd. uh, Don't be concerned with storing up great treasures for yourself. You need to worry about whether or not you're rich in the things of God. Uh, Then after that, he turns to his disciples and says, not only should you not 
be worried with storing up possessions for yourself, you shouldn't be anxious and worried at all. And then he takes it a step further, and he says, as a matter of fact, why don't you sell your possessions and give them away to the needy? All right, let's, let's think about all that. Uh, we've got this guy, he comes up, teacher, tell my brother to, the, to divide the inheritance with me. All right, there's some sort of dispute going on. We don't really know what it was, but there's one guy here who's obviously concerned, hey, I'm not getting mine. He's, he's getting his, but I'm not getting mine, and I want mine. Jesus, you tell him that he needs to divide this inheritance up with me the right way. I don't know what his deal is, but, but you can fix this. Would you just tell him to give me what's mine? And Jesus is kind of, seems kind of harsh with the guy. He says, Jesus, who made me the arbitrator between you and your brother? Uh, Jesus, tell him to divide the estate. And, and Jesus says... There's a bigger issue going on, and, and, and you don't seem to understand the issue. You know, sometimes when you're around children and they're fighting over a toy, do, do you ever have this, this sense of, uh, you know, it's mine, no, it's mine, I had it first, no, I had it first. And I kind of sit there sometimes and I think, it's a, it's a toy, it's a toy, it really is a toy, can we just decide this and move on? And it's almost like Jesus is saying to this guy, it's an inheritance. It's just an inheritance. It's just, a, it's just this little, you're missing bigger issues. There are more important things in the world. And he says, be on your guard against covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so Jesus is saying to this man and to us as well, if if you think the purpose of life is to simply accumulate wealth and possessions for yourself, then you've completely missed it. And then he tells a story to make this point. Uh, he tells a story about a, a wealthy man whose land produced a good crop. All right, now think about this for a minute. This is somebody that's already wealthy, uh, and now they have bumper crop year. Now, what would you think this man's response ought to be? Um, thankful comes to mind. Uh, Deuteronomy 15 comes to mind where God's people were told to open their hands to the poor and to provide for their needs. Look, you've got a plenty and now God has given you more. Shouldn't you be generous with what God has given to you? But instead, his thoughts immediately moved to himself. And I've got to say, I, I can completely relate to this guy. Because what do I think when I get the, the income tax refund, uh, the unexpected bonus? Ooh, what can I buy for myself? What can I spend this on? Uh, where, what can we go do? Our thoughts quickly turn to ourselves. And this man thinks, well, obviously, I need to keep all this food for myself. Um, I, I, you know, this, this, is, this is mine, but the barns I've got aren't big enough to hold all this food, so I'm going to go build myself bigger barns so I can keep it for myself. Well, why does he do that? Why is that his, kind of his initial reaction to being blessed in such a bountiful way? Oh, I got more. I got to figure out how to keep more. Well, I think there's a clue in, in verse 19 where we read him saying to himself, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, 
and be merry. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I just won the lottery. I just won the I'm never going to have to work again. I can do whatever I want to do. I can go wherever I want to go. Now, all that work that was keeping me from living, I don't have to do anymore. Now I can actually live. Now I can actually enjoy life. Now, let me say a couple of things that are they're a little bit of rabbit trails, but, but not too much. Um, notice, for one, that this guy doesn't understand the purpose of work. Right? The Bible, and you have to go back to Genesis 1 through 3 to, to kind of look at this. The Bible says that while work is hard, work is actually good. That God gives us work to do. That it's good for us to work. That we're created to work, not to avoid work. That God's given us the privilege, uh, as Adam and Eve were given this privilege, of being caretakers in the garden, so to speak. Of being stewards of God's creation. That's actually who we're made to be. These are things that we're made to do. We're made to labor. It's part of our purpose in life. This guy doesn't get it. He just sees really good year. Really good year. If I save all of this, I'm not going to have to work anymore. I can be done with all of that. Uh, the thought underlying this is that he, what he thinks is, is that life is about what you're doing when you're not working. That real life is found when you're not working. All right, we, would, we used to call this living for the weekend. I hadn't heard that phrase in a long time. But, but that's, what, that's what this would be. Like, I've just got to grind through the week. But when I get to the weekend, that's when I really start to live. That's, that's what I'm really excited about in life. Uh, and, and for some of us, perhaps if you're a student, that's, that's one of the reasons school is hard sometimes. I mean, it's hard anyway. But one of the reasons we make it harder uh, is that we're doing it for the wrong reasons. We think the good part of life is when I get done with all of this, when I can actually go play with my friends and do what I want to do and experience life. And this is just this drudgery that I've got to get through. Uh, and, and that's no different from, from the man who says, I just got to get through these 40 hours so that I can get home and turn on the Braves, uh, so that I can go hit the golf course. This, this is just this drudgery I've got to do. And here's real life outside of what God has called me to do. That's where I'm going to find life. And is that really that different from the rich guy in this parable? <clears throat> Wendell Berry has a has a uh, essay. It's called What Are People For? And this is going to be a little bit provocative, but but I hope it'll get you to think anyway. He 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 asks this question. Is the obsolescence of human beings now our social goal? One would conclude so from our attitude toward work especially the manual work necessary for the long-term preservation of the land, and from our rush toward mechanization, automation, and computerization. In a country that puts an absolute premium on labor-saving measures, short workdays, and retirement, why should there be any surprise at permanence of unemployment and welfare dependency? Those are only different names for our national ambitions. All right, now, there's some of that, you're like, man, this guy's like living in the 18th. Okay, that's fine. He's a little bit of an agrarian. Uh, but, but listen at the, kind of the, the end of that. 
In a country that puts an absolute premium on labor-saving measures, short work days, and retirement, I just got to get finished with the work so that I can go really live. Why should there be any surprise at permanence of unemployment and welfare dependency? Those are only different names for our national ambitions. That's what we all want to do anyway. That's where we're trying to get is to this place where we don't have to work. And these people just figured out how to work the system. They just got there ahead of us. Why are you surprised at that? Um, we shouldn't be. Now, whether you agree with all that quote or not, let me, let me ask you to ask yourself the question. Uh, if my goal is just to live long enough so that I can store up treasure and retire and then play every day, am I really that different from the guy in this parable? Is, is my life goal that different from the guy in this parable. We think, oh, he's, he's silly. He's building barns. I'm not building barns. He's over the top. Are we really that different? I think we misunderstand the purpose of work. And tied in with that is we misunderstand the purpose of life. Is the purpose of life to eat, drink, and be merry? Is that the purpose of life? Or let me put it another way. Is the purpose of life my experiences and my pleasure, and my comfort. That the goal for me is to experience as much uh, that is pleasing to me as is humanly, humanly possible in this life. I mean, we really live like it is. That this is just all about me and me sucking as much goody out of life as I can. Now, don't misunderstand me. Uh, God gives us material things to enjoy. At times, he gives us great wealth that we can certainly enjoy. He gives us good friends. He gives us good experiences. But all of these things he gives us are meant to, to drive us back to the giver of the gifts. To, to, to follow the rays of the sun. I think it was C.S. Lewis who said something like this. To follow the rays of the sun back up to the source of the light. To follow it back to the sun. That we follow these good gifts back to the source, the giver, and we praise him and we give glory to him, the one who provides all of these things. But instead, what do we do? We do that Romans 1 thing. We begin to worship the creation uh, instead of the creator. We, we look for life in these things that God has given us instead of looking for life in the one who gives and so what can happen then is that the creative things can begin to enslave us or what can happen is we don't really know how to enjoy things anymore. We don't really know how to enjoy these gifts that are around us. And so we just kind of move from one to the next, just taking a hit and then going on to the next thing, one after the other, after the other, after the other, trying to find something in this buffet that's actually going to satisfy me and stick with me. Uh, another es essay by Wendell Berry called The Pleasures of Eating, he said, we hurry through our meals in order to recreate ourselves in the evenings and on weekends and vacations. And then we hurry with the greatest possible speed and noise and violence through our recreation. For what? To eat the billionth hamburger at some fast food joint hell-bent on increasing the quality of our life? No offense to McDonald's. Uh, and, and, and this is carried out in a remarkable obliviousness 
to the causes and effects, the possibilities and the purposes of the life of the body in this world. We're just running around consuming. We're just running around doing stuff. One thing after the next, after the next. We're involved in this economy that says consume, consume, consume. Quick, quick, quick. You've got to get it all in as soon as you can, as fast as you can. Eat, drink, and be merry. And we're really starving the whole time we're doing that. But that's, a, that's another sermon. Um, we're, we're just like the rich guy in this parable whether we really realize it or not. And so what does Jesus say? Verse 20. God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And implied in that is they're not going to be yours because you're not going to take them with you. See, that, that's very sobering because we tend to think, well, life just go, it's just going to go on, everything's going to be okay And so we concern ourselves with treasures in the here and now, experiences in the here and now, and give very little thought to the world to come. Give very little thought to what comes after death. Uh, Will it matter if you have all the money in the world when you have to stand before God himself and give an account for your life? You can't buy influence in heaven. There's no super PAC that's going to bail you out. Um, money, you, you can't take it with you. And, and what Jesus is getting is he wants us to stop and ask ourselves, what's important to you? Where's your treasure? Really, where, where's your treasure? Uh, if, if you're living for the things of this world, if you're clinging to them, if you're trying to store them up for yourselves in order to provide yourself security, you'll ultimately lose not only your possessions, but you'll lose your soul as well. Uh, He's just said up in verse 5, fear him who has authority to cast you into hell. If you live for yourself, Jesus very consistently says, if you live for yourself, you'll lose your life. If you live for yourself, you'll lose yourself. You'll lose your life. You've been obsessed with this life, he's saying to the crowd, and you're giving no thought to the next. You need to quit thinking so much about this life and give thought to the life to come. Sure, you may have some treasure here, but you can't take it with you. And what are you going to do then? Well, I mean, he's kind of throwing a high, hard one here. Uh, he's, he's, he's brushed us off the plate. He's brushed this man off the plate who is just coming to ask about his inheritance. Uh, and now he, he turns to his disciples. And his disciples, they've all, they've all left home to follow Jesus, right? They've left everything behind. And he talks to them about anxiety. And now if you think about it for a minute, these things are actually connected. You can see how they're connected. Uh, He's been talking about concerning ourselves with the wrong things. And now he turns to his disciples and he says, Look, you are following me, but you're anxious because you're still to some degree holding on to the wrong things. You're still concerning yourself with the wrong things. Your anxiety is a holdover from when you didn't look at life right. All right, you're, you're still in some ways looking at life as the same way as the guy 
in the parable. You're used to worrying about your food and your clothing and your possessions and finding security and all of these things, and that's why you're anxious, and you've got to unlearn that. You've got to learn to think differently about these things. And then he gives us some very comforting words to them in the midst of the, the brush back pitch. He says, look, here's why you shouldn't be anxious. Look at, look at verse 23. For life is more than food, and the body's more than clothing. Life is more important than what you eat and drink and wear. It's, it's bigger than that. Verse 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And then verse 28, but if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. If God takes care of the birds and the plants, then you can believe that as his child, he's going to take care of you. Uh, Verse 25 and 26, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? You can't add any time to your life by worrying about it anyway. It's not in your hands at the end of the day. It's in God's hands. It's in your Father's hands. And you need to rest there. Are you nervous this morning? Are you anxious? Uh, What are you anxious about? Why are you anxious? You know, maybe you're letting the things that are supposed to serve you Maybe they become your masters instead. Maybe you have a hard time believing that God will actually take care of you. Maybe you think it all depends on your performance. Maybe you don't really trust God. Jesus takes you by the hand and he says, Don't you know, don't you know that life is more than your possessions? Don't you know that if my father takes care of the birds, that he's going to take care of you. Don't you know that all of life, all of your life, is, is in the father's hands? Don't you know that he knows what you need? Do you really think you can make yourself more secure than he can? And then he says... Get busy then. Busy yourselves with the work of the kingdom. Follow me, and God will provide. Uh, and then, in the midst of all that, he says something that really is very astounding. And it may be the hardest part of this passage to really believe. After he says, seek, seek his kingdom, he goes on to say, <clears throat> Fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Uh, How do I gain entrance into the kingdom of God? What do I have to do? How much do I have to to give away? How much do I have to perform? Uh, In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. You know, there, there are... 
many churches today who, that would say uh, that what Jesus did was he simply came to give us an example. And we need to try really hard to follow that example. And in following his example of sacrificial service, that's where we'll find life. But look, if that's all Jesus came to do, then all that is is going to condemn you. That's just more condemnation heaped on top of you because you're never going to do that. You're never going to serve the way Jesus served you. If Jesus is simply your example, then you're doomed. There's no hope in that. How do you receive the kingdom of heaven? You quit working for it. You receive it as a gift. You quit relying on your performance and rely instead on the performance of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus says, don't worry. Don't worry. Here's some reasons not to worry. All right, the, the, the Father's going to take care of you. You can't add any length of time to your life by worrying anyway. Trust the Father. But, but here's the ultimate reason you shouldn't worry. I've given you the kingdom. I've, I've given you the kingdom. What else do you really need? I've given you the greatest gift. And listen to how, this is one of my favorite verses. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he's given Jesus for you, do you think he's going to hold out on you after that? After he's given you his son. He's given you the kingdom. He's given you his son. See, I think one of the number one reasons that we become anxious and worried on a daily basis is our failure to believe the gospel. We are continually going back to our works, to our performance, to how I'm doing, uh, to what I'm good at. Uh, even, as, even as Christians, uh, we think, I, I just don't measure up. And so we're, we're insecure, we're neurotic, we're anxious. Uh, we're always trying to earn God's blessing. And because we're not convinced that we have God's blessing, we're always trying to earn man's blessing. We're people pleasers. And we're worried about the opinion of other people because we're not resting in the verdict that God has declared that we are righteous in his sight because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ. And our failure to believe that makes us anxious and worried and consumed with what other people think about us. Jesus says, don't you see, there's no need to worry. I've already given you the kingdom. Don't you think I'll give you all things? So look what he's done. Don't hoard possessions. Don't store up possessions for yourself. And then he goes a step further. Don't worry about your possessions. Don't don't store them up. In fact, don't worry about your possessions. The Father knows what you need. And then... He comes and he says, he gets really radical. He says, sell your possessions. Don't hoard your possessions. Don't worry about your possessions. As a matter of fact, (laughs) sell your possessions. What does it look like to live as those who have been given the kingdom? What does that look like? Well, one thing it looks like is us selling our possessions. Now, 
I don't think by that Jesus means, all right, just give away everything and walk around without any clothes on. Uh, all, every one of your possessions, no car, no house, no, no food, just, just, you know, walk down the street and stuff's going to drop in front of you and you'll be, that's, I don't think that's what he's saying. But I think he's saying something more than drop your old jeans off at the Goodwill every three months and spend the rest of the time living for you and your standard of living and the things of this world. The, the, the rich man and the world around you are busy storing up possessions for themselves. Jesus is saying, you need to learn what it means to give them away, to let them go, and in so doing, store up treasure for yourself in heaven. Now, that's pretty crazy, isn't it? I, I don't think we see a whole lot of that in America. I don't see a whole lot of that in my life. Um, when I get more money, like I said, I immediately start thinking, what, what can I buy myself? And Jesus tells me to think about giving things away, to dream about giving things away. I mean, what's your, you know, you got your eye on that raise or that promotion. What are you dreaming of doing with that when you get it? Are you, are you thinking at all, man, I, I got more I can give away now. I got, I got more possessions that I can just, I, I don't need that because I've got Jesus. And it's not just our money he's calling us to be uh, radically generous with. He's calling us to be generous with our time. Uh, radically generous when it comes to the people you're willing to give your time to. And then radically generous with your life. Uh, the, the story's told of these two girls who were thinking of being missionaries in some extremely dangerous place, and their mom was worried. She went to the pastor. That's not safe. How can you encourage them to do that? And he said something along the lines of, look, we're on this big ball of rocks hurtling through space at however however fast we're traveling through space and if we were three inches closer to the sun we'd all burn up and if we were three inches further away we'd all freeze to death and one day a trap door is going to open and you're going to fall out of this life into eternity and you're worried about being safe you're in the arms of god you're in the arms of god each and every moment of the day that's where your security is not in where you live or what you have or what you've stored up for yourself. God is your security. Let me just ask you this to close it. Um, here's the, let me go think about this today. What's your life really about? What's your treasure? What do you treasure? You know, you can, you can come to all the, Worship services and Bible studies, you can act as excited about Christianity as you want to. But what really drives you? What controls your thoughts? What do you dream about? Where do you spend your money? What do you treasure? What do you treasure? Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where is it? Let's pray. Father, these are, these are absolutely challenging words to us. Um, and it may be hard for us to hear. And I think we can go with two, ex- 
there's two extremes we can go to with this. One is that we forget the gospel and we think, oh, I've got to, I've got to do more. I've got to, got to give away more to, to really be saved. And, and that's not the truth at all. But on the other hand, the danger is, Father, that we hear this and go, well, he doesn't really mean that. And I don't need to worry about being radically generous. Uh, Father, would you show us how to do that? Would you work generosity into our hearts? Would you free us from our need to consume? Would you free us from the belief that we're going to find life in consuming and life in possessions? And help us to see, Father, that we are only going to find life in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.